0: Come explain this to me.
1: So and then when the bathroom was leaking, the bathroom leaks upstairs sometimes. Okay. So the water comes out of this light thing. So it made the carpet all gross. This carpet's still a carpet from 35 years ago too.
0: Jeez. So when the so they just came in and what they do?
1: The pipe broke under the tub in this bathroom. Okay. So I told him where it was and how it get in there. And he went through the walls to look for it. And then he went under the tub where I told him to.
0: Oh, my God. Is Vera lives in a abandoned home, home, home where over the yeah. years she's received minimal support in the upkeep of her house. She welcomed me into her home and walks me through when renovations are needed.
1: It yeah, goes out into the floor so water constantly comes up through here. Sorry about the mess. Just Don't well worry. You?
0: Not a problem. Um
1: we have all the we have drywall to finish down here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But when they took the when that guy took this wall down, he took that light thing out and didn't connect it back up. Okay. And that's our breaker and they said that that breaker is too small for the size of this house, that's why we keep losing everything.
0: Oh.
1: This is all unfinished. This and is whose bedroom is this? This is my bedroom.
0: Nice. It's big.
1: I know, but we want, the, we want it finish because it's still the cement floor and all the drywall and it's so dusty down here. Does it
0: get uh, damp in the winter too? Yeah. Farrah takes me through the basement where her and her wife sleep. The home is filled wall to wall with pictures of family, what you carvings, paintings, pictures. You can see how hard she's worked to keep her family in a healthy and thriving space. You
1: can see, we're not really safe. And the bottom part, um, Allison just nailed a board there because it was like going right through. It's just drafting. They said that when that guy came and did this, he said that this will eventually need to be reinforced because what's happening is, because it's not a uh, not enough um, support here that the house is starting to slant. Oh. So when we put stuff on the floor upstairs, we'll put a ball down, and the ball will go straight down that way.
0: Let's go see. Farah takes me upstairs to her children's bedroom, where the mold has been found beneath their windows. <laughs> years of low-quality renovations have been ineffective to properly keep their rooms dry and healthy.
1: the most recent done in the house.
0: When was this done?
1: I think four years ago, but look, that happened right away.
0: That's a whole bunch of mold.
1: Yeah
0: That happened right away
1: that happened right away, and I noticed it it's starting to get up there
0: tiles look nice
1: and Right there, okay It's almost like they just painted over it
2: not uncommon
1: So we put the doors up and all that but this is MJ's room and their windows are. This is Alex's room, and their windows are pretty much the same. Okay. So all the mold and it, it started to rot through the windows there. Right. And he's got really bad asthma, so and so to. does Pete's landlord. They just moved in with us again. Okay. But he's got really bad asthma, so it's gonna bother him. God, their rooms are messy. Ah,
0: messy doesn't matter. You? Messy's good. Messy means lived in. Homes like Farah's are too common on reserve. <laughs> the model used to finance and renovate on reserve housing has failed to meet the needs of communities and forced families to tolerate an unacceptable standard of living. This is the story of Rez House. You're listening to Rez House, and I am your host, Jordan Cooey. I come from a Amiskwachi, Waskaigan, in the western territory of Treaty 6. My family is Tetlit Gwachin from Treaty 11, and I live and work here on the territory of the Wasanik, Songhees, and Esquimalt peoples. Subject to the Indian Act, the real and personal property of an Indian or a band situated on reserve is not subject to charge, pledge, mortgage, attachment, levy, seizure, distress, or execution in favor or at the instance of any person other than the Indian or a band. What does this mean? Reserves have no equity. Housing is central to the health and success of families. Secure housing translates into higher levels of education, food security, access to health care, and higher social mobility. In order to understand the health of a home, we need to understand the metrics, but we determine what makes a home healthy.
3: You need to have a proper mechanical system. Because that's one of the other challenges with Indigenous housing, as you well know. Um, you know, most houses don't have a proper mechanical system. It relies on just the doors and the windows opening and closing every so often to provide fresh air and air changes. Um, That's okay, you know, in some environments. But in some environments, that makes no sense. Like, you're not opening, you know, in really cold climates. You don't get the air movement. And also, if you have an occupancy higher than what's assumed, like one, two, three, four people, um, human beings create moisture. Just the body does and cooking does and everything else does. So then you get a building that is unhealthy. Because it doesn't have the air changes needed to make it, you know, a proper environment on the inside. But these are very simple problems to solve. So you can have a building that is appropriate for the culture, appropriate for the climate, and high-performing, 100%. (laughs) That's Scott Kemp, an
0: award-winning architect who's been working with SEO First Nation on their new big house project. I spoke to him online about his experience working with First Nation communities and about how important it is to build culturally relevant and sustainable homes. Well, I think that on reserve housing is one of the most poorly understood parts of the reserve system. I would Um, agree. And it was, it's the one that people don't talk about. It's kind of, it's nominalized. It's turned into, well, they just are poor quality because that's just the way they are. Um, and there's no evidence to support that that's the way it has to be.
3: Um, and it's even more profound than that, because if you're in a, an unhealthy building, you will be unhealthy, right? There's a direct correlation between your well-being and the building in which you're in, right? So if, if there's lots of daylight, lots of natural materials, uh, it's healthy, you know, just fresh air, um, you will be healthy. Uh, and, Converse to that, if it's an environment that's completely unhealthy, it's not going to be good for you. Yeah. Spend 10 minutes in a house with black mold and you'll know. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just to say, well, it's the way it is, is true. But it's really profound, profoundly sad, right? Because you're impacting people's health and well-being.
0: The health of a home is critical to the success and sustainability of a family. In a conventional home, homeowners can access lines of credit to upkeep their homes. This both increases the equity of a home and keeps the families living inside healthy. Homes on reserve are denied the equity needed to access homeowners' loans and instead are forced to apply to the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Association's Section 95 Residential Rehabilitation Assistance Program. The program requires the immense amount of administrative planning, and without strong and consistent housing management, Indigenous communities rarely meet the requirements to access renovation funding. The Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation centralizing the access to housing funding meant that Indigenous communities had to quickly learn and apply for the funding. If communities were lucky enough to be approved for their projects, they were now responsible for repaying the loans without having access to the equity homeowning provides. By attempting to solve one problem, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation opened another, that that which is affordable, is not sustainable.
4: I think that uh, the state of housing in First Nations communities across BC and Canada uh, a telltale sign that the system is not working. And, <laughs> you know, that's a simple <laughs> answer.
0: <laughs> that's Anthony Purcell, Director of Indigenous Homelands Team at Ecotrust Canada.
4: You know, Section 95 housing, um, as well as any... Um, ISC housing, Indigenous Services Canada housing funds that come through. They're always based on, um, you know, what's hot policy at the time. What, um, so from, th- these are policies created in Ottawa um, from, you know, bureaucrats and technica- technocrats about um, what's going to be the most bang for the buck for First Nations communities. Um, so they come up with these um these pots of funding that allow communities to to get some amounts of funds for housing, um, which is never enough. Not only is it never enough, but there's, um, you know, there's all kinds of restrictions in terms of what they can build in terms of, you know, what size housing they can build, what materials they can use, what, what contractors they, they can go with. They often have to go with like, lowest bids um, for contractors, things like that. So then what you, what happens is you get huge qualitative deficiencies in housing. So that's why you get such poor housing, because of things like section, section 95 funding.
0: The Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation began as wartime housing limited, designed to provide homes to returning soldiers from World War II. The then need to foster a developmental boom saw the Crown Corporation rebrand into the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation which built over 3,000 homes in the post-war blitz, none of which were on reserve. Fast forward to today, and the CMHC is the primary provider of housing funding for Indigenous communities. They control the rental rates, the building cost, the interest rates for lending, and the funding for repairs and renovations, or so they would have you believe. In April 2021, one month into the fiscal year during a global pandemic, where the message from the government was stay inside, They authored a letter to every First Nation in British Columbia that reads, The CMHC will not be accepting applications for our renovation programs in the 2021-2022 fiscal year. This includes the Residential Rehabilitation Assistance Program, Home Adaptation for Seniors Independence Program, and the Emergency Repair Program. It begs the question, what, if anything, does the CMHC do for First Nations other than put them into bankruptcy? Ask Anthony what he thinks of the newly formed First Nation Housing and Infrastructure Council, an organization that is working to unify the housing funding and support the self determination of communities and their need for housing.
4: I can answer what what I think is the solution. If you, I mean, I mean, me. well, I mean, I I don't know if it's the solution, but I think I think again when you start to think about funding for housing, real really, I think that you know, in there needs to be. Uh, indigenous led, uh, administration of funds for housing. And, and that can be at a local level or it can be again at a nation level, a, sort of a regional, uh, affiliation of nations. Here in BC, we have the, um, the emergent, uh, First Nations Housing and Infrastructure Council, who I'm sure you're aware of, who is trying to, you know, essentially replace ISC and CMHC funding, um, in British Columbia. And I think that that's a, that's a, uh, a good first step. Um, Other nations uh, don't necessarily want to be included in that. um, And they want to be able to administer housing funds on their own through direct transfers of funding from the crown, essentially, you know, as a part of uh, reconciliation, essentially. And and I think that, that that should be considered as well. I think ultimately I think Indigenous nations and communities need to be able to Assess housing needs and develop housing funding strategies on their own.
0: Housing quality in Indigenous communities is directly impacted by funding availability. As funding and capacity levels drop, the quality and health of homes drop with them. But it's not only the impact of the quality of homes, but the health and welfare of the families who are forced to live inside of them. There's an inverse relationship between the affordability of building homes and the longevity of those homes, and it comes at the expense of the large intergenerational families that live inside of them. The history of unhealthy homes is as old as the Indian Act itself. Historian Sylvia Olson, former housing manager and program lead of the First Nation Housing Management Certificate Program at Vancouver Island University, completed her PhD researching the history of on-reserve housing.
5: Despite the fact First Nations communities were vastly different from each other in geography, climate, and culture, by the 1940s, housing on reserves was becoming standardized as government involvement in housing assistance became more widespread, and as reserve residents began to rely increasingly on the same meager palette of framing lumber, tar paper, and roofing material that produced a one-size-fits-all dwelling.
0: The traditional dwellings constructed by communities were deemed unfit for children, and a primary excuse many children were forcefully sent to residential school. Though the homes were built with sustainable materials and traditional construction practices that had been adequate housing for Indigenous families for centuries, the policy introduced by the Canadian government brought with it the collapse of the culturally relative and traditional infrastructure.
5: People once housed in dwellings designed to fit the function of the residents Whether they were fishermen, hunters, trappers, traders, wool workers, woodcarvers, and the climate in which they lived, from deserts to raincoasts, prairies, boreal forests, and the frigid north, were now living in tiny, rudimentary government-issue shacks.
0: In her research, Sylvia Olson found that there was a direct historical relationship between the state of on-reserve housing and the health and welfare of families. Though the homogenization of on-reserve housing has largely been abandoned today, having learned it was both maladaptive to the physical geography of Indigenous communities and their cultural needs, they kept an important part that was dangerous to the longevity of Indigenous communities. Its name? The Modesty Clause.
5: Looking for fabric and sewing supplies? Look no further than buttons and bows. Buns and Bows carries fabrics for all of your quilting and crafting needs, as well as trims, tools, and of course, a wide variety of buttons. They also offer sewing and crafting classes for kids and adults. Come find them at 2867 Fowl Bay Road or online at BunsandBowsOakBay.com
0: spoke to Kier Portress and Pierre Ilatechi about the modesty clause. They are both professionals in navigating the complex world of on-reserve housing and infrastructure. Kier Portress is an engineer who works with indigenous communities designing, project managing, and contracting the development of water treatment plants, multi-unit family dwellings, and community infrastructure projects. I sat with Pierre and Kier to talk shop about the on-reserve housing. To Kier, modesty is just another way to say cheap.
6: Um, and one of the things that you know that the trainer really said was you know what it's gonna cost you more. There's no doubt about it. Our our industry as it stands right now is not well developed enough Mm -hmm. to reflect the savings that could be had in a more developed industry. Right if passive housing or high performance housing was the norm it literally wouldn't cost anymore because it yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so they're again they're they're asking on what what is the definition of modest housing? Right. Is modest housing fixtures? Yeah. You know, stuff that you're gonna have to replace or you know, you get the steel, the really ugly steel door frame instead of yeah. the steel door frame inside a, you know, mm-hmm. encased wooden door frame. Yeah. Right? So
0: passive housing you know, or high performance housing. housing. As another way to say, homes that use less energy require less heat energy, and overall cost the family less to operate. The cost savings to the family highly outweighs the cost of development in the longevity and sustainability and health of on-reserve housing.
6: You know, I think that definition, just like you're saying, there there is a trade-off, mm-hmm. and they're asking for both, and unfortunately, I think the government, if they're because they're requiring higher performing buildings, right? Yeah. Stage three or what is it? Step three or Yeah, step, step four. three minimum, yeah. Right? So you're like, okay, well, you already put us at 30% more. Yeah. Before we even started the yeah. project. So yeah. we can't take anything less out because the modest housing. We can't take anything less out. Mm. The oh, I'm, I'm grumpy about that so much because mm. they just passed that off to another government organization. BC
0: Hydro will pay you to do all those things. Yeah. It's like yeah. you're the, the same government. Yeah. They're the same government. Yeah. <laughs> why like why can't you just do it all at once yeah
2: and that's why it took us a team of people to sort all that shit out Mm -hmm. if you're like the lone housing person um yeah (laughs) yeah that's that's that's, stuff's gonna be next to impossible how how do you deal with high performance housing and Mm -hmm. then cmhc's modest housing Mm -hmm.
0: When applying for on-reserve housing through the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation Section 95 Affordable Housing Program, you're required to list your materials and prepare expenses for the program. When expensive materials are used in the projects, you're forced to access other government agencies' programming in order to pay for those products. This means having to navigate complex and largely non-communicative bureaucracies that are keen on passing the buck to whichever other government will pay for those products.
2: We're trying to crack that nut and um...
0: That's Pierre Ilatechi. He works with Roots to Roots Canada, an Indigenous-centred organization that works with communities developing sustainable, highly efficient, and culturally appropriate housing. Having the misfortune of navigating the complex world of on-reserve housing, he constantly has to make concessions to materials and design choices because the funding agencies are not willing to invest in Indigenous communities to the same degree they want to invest in settler communities.
2: I'm in a sort of a lucky position in that I've got all these uh, brainiac types at Uvic that can use really complicated modeling and tools to try and balance affordability with culturally grounded, with resilience, with affordability, and all these other pieces. It's yeah. an impossible task.
4: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: you're going to have to you're going to have to weigh one over the other or cut corners somewhere, and that never comes up in conversation. CMHC or BC Housing, at least not in my experience. Mm-hmm. And then um, we're often having to like do the calculations of what's the return on investment, or when do you pay off that solar, or when do you pay off those passive house yeah. um, things that you've done. Because they're so short-sighted. It's All they see is the, the number, like today, it's like 35%.
0: The short-sightedness is an artifact of the political process itself. A typical chief and council election cycle is two years. A typical MLA or MP election cycle, four years. The typical wait time for a family to move into a home, 10 years. All the while, communities grow and families ache to move back to their land. And
7: I hear
2: that consistently. Yeah. So we've done a couple housing needs assessments with a couple of the communities. Mm. And yeah, same story. Been on a wait list for decades. Um, I don't expect to get off of it, but I hope my kids get, get a house. I've heard that consistently. Yeah. And yeah. And even if there was space, there's just so many folks that want to come back. And they should be entitled to. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah,
6: the community should be able to, you know, make those decisions and be able to get like the First Nation Market Housing Fund was meant to support our reserve housing. Mm-hmm. And then like the first, what, 10 years they were mm-hmm. functional. They like mm-hmm. didn't build a home or something or mm-hmm. only built like a handful of homes. Mm-hmm. In 10 years, millions of dollars.
2: That's insane, like, I know. That's... Only
6: a handful of homes. Yeah. And then I think they're building more, but like there are these mechanisms that were created in some sort of way, yeah. but they, they're they built on a system that's broken, yeah. and doesn't function so that it doesn't matter how many other supports you put in there, that it's like a bridge. If the bridge is broken, put a new bridge in. Just spend the money, mm-hmm. take the time, do it. Instead of like, oh, we're going to you know, put another column here. We're going to put duct tape here. Sound like my it sounds like my life. Right? <laughs> yeah. right? and I think Polishing and turn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I think that's the hardest problem when you start looking at these <laughs> Systems yeah. is like, we, everyone, know, everyone knows the system's broken, but there's not enough political will to actually just, say, bite the bullet. Kier yeah. Porcher said
0: it the best, the system is broken, but hope is not lost. Some communities have worked incredibly hard to see their housing improve, with considerable success. The resilience of Indigenous communities is where we find remarkable triumph in the face of a system that's designed to impoverish and disempower. It takes the will of strong leadership to traverse the monolith of on-reserve housing funding and make successful applications.
7: Uh, Yeah, so how was your weekend so far? It was good, just hanging with the kids today, Will the boys working. Nice. So this is our uh, Quanti uh, Cultural Center. Mm -hmm. So this was one of our first projects right out of school um, after we did our first year apprenticeship.
3: Mm
4: -hmm.
7: So this is where we held a lot of movie nights, uh-huh. Community gatherings, meetings. So it was uh, something that we needed more. So we've seen that the use of this building was really key for Yeah. So we got one of our uh, business partners to put a screen and a sound system in it. So okay. we could hold movie nights. Nice. Stuff for, like Just engaging community for like any project, right? Right. Because that was where we were finding it hard as uh, coming in... New to council, mm-hmm. you know, we had a whole new approach of what we wanted to do, right? So, in community engagement was one of our key things to move towards. So, it was held a lot of um, important meetings here for us. I'm noticing here you got a whole lack of solar panels, yeah. How that happened? So, we had the funding applying for the funding through the um, clean energy. Was it indigenous clean energy? Yeah. Okay. So we applied for it. It was like this project was already started, and uh, this health center was already done. And then we ended up getting the money for, uh, I think it was a uh, two hundred and fifty thousand. Wow,
6: wow. And so how? Um,
0: Matthew drives me around Malahat First Nation, the new ten bills from a successful Section ninety five application. Yearly, he The nation sits on the eastern shores of Highway one on Vancouver Island between Mill Bay and Victoria. Through Malahat's leadership, as well as the support of the community, the nation went from having no active projects on the go to having now completed multiple community centers, affordable high-performance multi-housing units, as well as detached homes for community members. Matthew made it clear to me that this administrative victory was the direct result of intense community engagement that produced the capacity needed to get the job done.
7: So what we wanted to make this look as is like old villages. Mm-hmm. You wanted, to, we wanted to bring that back to the nation, mm-hmm. just because we have, you know, me and my brother were in carpentry, so we doing big projects like this was mm-hmm. kind of unique. Yeah. So we had the funding just to do the health center at 1.8 million, and then we fundraised for the kids. Uh, we did gala fundraisers at mm-hmm. Bear Mountain, okay. so we'd hold uh, golf tournaments and then do a mm-hmm. big uh, shindig at the end and. Nice. So we raised over six hundred thousand dollars.
0: Holy! How um in, in three years. How was it financed? Was it done through CMHC or was it done through FNHA?
7: FNHA, CMHC. Um, like the rec daycare system was another grant we went after as well. Mm-hmm. So we kind of looked at it. Hey, instead of doing one build, let's do all three of them at the same time and mm-hmm. save money on costs. They're like, Oh no, that's, uh, that's the worst thing you could ever do. And we're like we know how to do this so mm-hmm. we end up changing the plans and it, this was a five million dollar building wow who was the who was the, the architect uh scott Kemp.
0: scott Kemp. yeah that name's floating around a lot these days
7: yeah that, we worked with scott Kemp quite a bit and mm-hmm. like we sat down and did a design build with him mm-hmm. so that's how we got the learning center it was all just engagement with community mm-hmm. and it was uh
0: before this what was the band like the um like before this project, what was the community like? Like, what were they? What were they really pushing for?
7: They wanted change. They wanted to see change, and we were doing it. Mm-hmm. So we uh, showing them that to doing housing, to doing projects is key for us. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's kind of what it was. And we maxed out our capacity on our infrastructure now. Mm-hmm. So perfect. Like, yeah, we we're at that <laughs> limit to where like we can't add anything else to it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good limit to be at though. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So we actually did our CCP um, with the community, and Mm -hmm. um, it made it a whole vision for us that that we needed to change this housing situation for our members. How does it work up here for... Matthew
0: is now showing me the new child care center uh, and the new band office, two other successful applications to the CMHC. Mm -hmm.
7: And this is our, um, actually going to be our new office for um, administration. Wow. And Not this just was so many projects right now. Yep. Yeah, and this uh, partnership with VIU, so we um, bring the school in, uh, they build our building, and we save on labor. Wow. Um, like 20 kids, that's probably like 20, 30 grand easily. Yeah. So they just, we buy all the uh, lumber. So mm-hmm. we've been doing this partnership for, I would say, a good six years now. So they've built a majority of our housing. So that does save costs that we can actually do better kitchens, uh, higher, like, siding that was a big problem we always had that plastic siding yep so we all every new house we have changed we went to hardy siding wow and like just all the houses look amazing so when we first like this these houses were never up here it was always just that one over there that house there and mm-hmm. that uh, maybe one more over here and that's all we had mm-hmm. so within the five years four years of being in office we pushed hard to get housing how did the community respond to that? Oh, they loved it. Because it kept them working, like mm-hmm. I'm doing with SAILT. Like yeah. That's how we started growing it. Um, using that employment as, uh, as funders, saying, hey, we got people employed. You know, we're spending the, the dollars adequately to a project. Mm-hmm. And the CMHC loved it. Did the Matthew's
0: work in his community is one of the ways you see Indigenous communities have to be creative when dealing with large and unwavering bureaucracies. And on all accounts, yep. Matthew made housing happen
7: in his community. Oh man, it's beautiful. It's <laughs> absolutely beautiful. I'm so lucky I feel. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's if you, what you do with the right things and the right people in place, mm-hmm. you can get so much done.
0: You really can. Yeah. You got to just kind of be uh what's the word? fearless in yeah. a way. Cause and we
7: were, we were just like <laughs> telling the government, this is what we want, not what <laughs> you're going to tell us to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking like, uh, my next uh, funding application, I'm going to give the feds two weeks to get back to me or else they have to approve the, the application. I mean, yeah. You, you, that's how we were doing. Stuff. <laughs> like if they wouldn't give
7: us funding for a house, we'd fly to CMHC yeah. office and say, what the heck? we're here. Like what the fuck's wrong yeah, with you guys? Yeah. Here's a picture. Well, yeah. Obviously we need some yeah. help. So, Fantastic. so we had to do that ourselves. Wow. Like our the leadership at that, that time, we would just let's go to Vancouver and ask why they're not giving us our money, mm-hmm. money that we need to, do to build our nation members up.
0: Scare the pants off them, basically.
4: Yeah. Because well. <laughs> they don't like that, you know. No, they—they're not used to people coming in. Like, oh shit, they actually come here. And I said we're going,
7: we're going to make it a couple trips a month, so mm-hmm. we were doing that, and it works.
6: It's so impressive, man.
7: This like. house was a whole. Access to
0: affordable, sustainable, and well-maintained housing is essential for Indigenous communities to flourish. On land without equity, housing on reserve must play by the rules of the CMHC, but not reap any of the benefits of equity protected by the CMHC. Housing is the core element of a family's success, and decades of mismanagement, damaging unilateral policy, And inconsistent levels of funding created a nearly insurmountable situation. You know, it's
3: efforts through, like, getting the word out, like what you're doing. You know, describing a different way. That's how you change the system. That, again, building on success, you know, not doing the standard way. Seeing potentials, seeing opportunities uh, that benefit the community. That's, if you can articulate that and get the word out then things will move in the right direction.
0: Malahat First Nation, Ecotrust Canada, Roots to Roos, and Gwai Engineering are just a small sample of the many organizations that have successfully navigated the complex bureaucracy of the CMHC to build homes on reserve. The state of the housing crisis on reserve needs and deserves the national spotlight that will intensify pressure on the elected government to reconcile this perpetuated injustice. It is important that listeners here and everywhere understand that the state of on-reserve housing is unacceptable and the wealth generated in this country is generated by the displacement and impoverishment of Indigenous communities. Families like Farah's deserve a home where her children can thrive. This is not an Indigenous issue. The housing crisis reflects the seriousness of Canadian government's take on reconciliation and how serious Canadians are at reconciling their equity and their intergenerational wealth. This is the story of Reshouse. The House would not be possible without the support and guidance of Cassidy Villaburn barracus and his compassionate and masterful guidance from the beginning of this project. I would also like to thank Scott Kemp, Farah S., Anthony Perceau, Keir Portress, Pierre Ilatechi, and Matthew Perry for their incredible contributions to this story and the collective wealth of their experience. I would also like to thank Andrea Vogel for championing the editing and soundboarding my many scripts, and my mom for birthing me and my sister for making me accountable. This podcast was produced at CFUV with financial support from the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the only organization mandated to provide financial support to nonprofit radio stations in Canada. CFUV is a nonprofit radio station broadcasting from the University of Victoria campus on the traditional, unseated, unsurrendered territories of the wassanic and Lekwungen-speaking peoples. Visit cfuvpodcast.com or search for CFUV wherever you get your podcasts for more homegrown, cutting-edge content.